Father in heaven, thank you for your blessings. Thank you for the Bible and the teachings coming from the Bible. Be with us in this moment in which we are going to open scriptures and we are going to talk about you. Be with us. Give us humbleness in our heart and also the good spirit in order to understand your teachings. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, the topic we are going to be working during this um, um, seminar presentation is regarding the Holy Spirit. But um, I'm going to be centered into the epistle to the Ephesians, basically, in which the Apostle Paul gives this recommendation. And we are going, we are going to be dealing with um, the topic of be filled of the Spirit, because it is a very big topic and a very important one. I will say that if you take out, good morning, if you take out this topic, this teaching, this passage in the epistle to the Ephesians, all the spiritual thing in the entire epistle is going down. No sense. Because this is the essence of the topic. What does it mean? Well, this is going to be probably the dealing of the seminar. By the way, this is the first time I am teaching this as a seminar. I've been preaching about that. I've been preaching about in St. John's in a couple of churches um, in the area of Grand Rapids, but I never be been dealing with uh, as a seminar. So probably what we are going to do is to expand the topic and see the relationship of the topic of the spirit with the um, rest of the persons of um, the, the, the doctrine or the, the, the Godhead. Um, and let's, let's go to the, to the passage. Let's, let's, let's go to the book of Ephesians. And uh, we are going to be dealing with chapter 4, um, verses 18 through 21. And feel free to take notes. And after my first presentation, if you have any questions regarding to the topic, feel free to make the questions. Um, let me tell you something, probably the essential points I'm going to be covering between tomorrow and Wednesday. And, uh, and probably that is the time in which the presentation is going to finish, I guess, because normally this is going to take us about what I would say, maybe an hour and a half long run presentation, and that probably the timeline in which um, I'm going to finish the entire topic. The Bible says here, um, and be not drunk with wine wherein is success, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourself in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting yourself one to another in the fear of the Lord. 
Across this seminar, we are going to be um, talking about, and I am going to use uh, this expression, and I don't want to, to be uh, confusing anybody, but the triadic uh, essence of the relationship of Spirit, the Lord Jesus, and the Father are going to be seen, and every time in which I am going to use this expression, or triadic, I'm going to refer to the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And that is, hey, morning, morning. And I'm going to be referring to that, okay? So, um, by the way, um, I'm not going to um, challenge anyone what I'm going to say. But uh, my presentation is going to try to be in full line with the fundamental teachings, the 28 fundamental beliefs of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. And I am very quite aware who are they. And these are from the beginning. And uh, I do believe about, good morning. There is a couple of places over there. And, and here, the second line too. Um, and you are going to check with that. Um, and please, if something is not in harmony with that, uh, this humble servant, I'm going to submit to your criteria. But I am doing this as a vision of apologetics in this moment in which the Godhead is under attack. And, and I guess you are aware of and that is the reason and the rationale for the presentation of this seminar. So, um, sometimes the triadic forms are not in the same way in which you maybe expect to see them appear. However, when you see this section, when you see this section, you are going to see the mention of the Spirit, the mention of God and, and Father and Lord Jesus. So sometimes when you see this, you are going to detect that. And we are going to make a reference regarding this topic probably between tomorrow and, uh, and Wednesday, Wednesday regarding the triadic forms in the New Testament. Let me tell you that there are about 65, 70 in the New Testament, by the way. So that, that is part of the point in which we are going to be talking about. And that is, that is an important point in which we are going to land uh, upon this, um, this topic. Um, um, based upon this um, introduction, I will say that um, the seminar, we, we will discuss some of this topic. The appealing, the Apostle Paul advice of the relationship of um, revival movements across history. Um, every time that you see the awakenings, movements, and revival topics across the history, the topic of the Holy Spirit is in the center of that or awakening or revival, always. It is, it is quite interesting. The meaning of the sentence by the Apostle Paul um, we are going to work a relationship between a couple of epistles of the Apostle Paul, that one is Ephesians and the other is Colossians. 
And remember something, these are the prison epistles, because the Apostle Paul wrote them in the time in which he was in the moment, probably, Mamertine um, prison in Rome, for sure in prison, potentially possible Mamertine prison, jail in, uh, in Rome. And, and you are going to see that sometimes the topics are very close interrelated between the epistle to the Colossians and the epistle to the Ephesians. Um, I would say that there are certain differences and we are going to cover the uh, similarities and differences uh, between Colossians and Ephesians in the presentations. The Holy Spirit and the charismatic movement, I'm not going to stop too much about that, but I'm going to make um, some references because sometimes we do have some confusions coming into the church in our relationship with the Holy Ghost and the Holy Spirit and, and, the, and the emphasis that these two movements, Pentecostals and Charismatic, made regarding the presence and the person of the Holy Spirit. And there are three important topics, um, maybe close to statements that I'm going to make regarding um, these uh, movements. Um, there, there is a book that I wrote in Spanish, and I am very sorry for that, but um, um, <laughs> to, to, mention, to mention here is very late, but um, I, I wrote this um, in relationship with um, Catholicism, um, and we are referring in the book about charismatic movements um, as a subsidy of the Catholicism, and there is an entire chapter of uh, Pentecostal, and we are going probably to make reference upon that because sometimes, sometimes, people with no religious backgrounds think that this is um, what I will say, a kind of a spiritual ownership of the Charismatics and of the Pentecostals. And we are going to be dealing from the beginning regarding that topic um, because uh, that is not true. But I, I'm going to um, um, make a sentence more clear in the topic. The, the other point that we are going to refer is an analysis of the background of the epistle to the Ephesians, because it's important for interpretation. By the way, in the afternoon, we're going to be making um, some reference uh, regarding to the topic of um, hermeneutics, and, um, and those who might be interested in are invited to come. But uh, let me tell you that um, um, the church of Ephesus was a kind of big, big center of paganism in the times in which the Apostle Paul was writing and sending this church. And the church, early church, was in the center of that kind of worship. So if you visit some of the important museums in the world, like the Vatican Museum, across the, or behind the St. Peter Square and the uh, and, uh, and the Vatican building, um, you are going to find out 
um, status of Artemis, that was the uh, goddess of the Ephesians, and um, and that that is that is going to tell you something about the big challenge of the early church uh, living in a society that believed um, blindless uh, regarding the worship of Diana of the Ephesians. And there is a mention also in the book of Acts, and we are going to collect some, some um, information regarding that. Um, also, we are going to establish the relationship between the epistle to the Ephesians and other New Testaments, and especially this topic, be filled of the Spirit and the relationship with wine. Of course, we are going to be discussing um, what is this, be filled, because sometimes people think of the Spirit like it was kind of water, and that, that what, what was the meaning, you know? Um, is there any basis to think that the Spirit was that? Um, we are going to um, provide with information regarding that. And uh, we're going to be dealing with the contrast and the advice of the Apostle Paul, because this is a contrast. Um, don't, be, don't do this and do this. And that kind of contrast is practically in the center of the Apostle Paul epistle to the Ephesians. And by the way, all the advices are very good for the church today. Um, so we are going to take some good spirit, what I would say, advice regarding that. The meaning of the spirit and the relationship with the entire epistle, there is about 13 prob probably, uh, 14 mentions with the name of a spirit, and we are going to be discussing what is pneuma in the New Testament, because sometimes there is a little bit of confusion regarding this, and I'm going to give you some information regarding some of the observations that I made um, regarding some anti-Trinitarians uh, denying the personhood of the Holy Spirit, but for that, we need to see all the references that are made to the Spirit in this epistle. And when you check up, you are going to be surprised because there are many. However, you need to distinguish um, the concept of pneuma in, in the New Testament. Why? Because pneuma is the word in Greek that is used for spirit. But remember something. It's not only for the Holy Spirit. It's also in reference for the mind of the person and also for the spirit of the devil or evil spirits. So you need to take in account those things. So, and we are going to be dealing with this topic because sometimes the anti-Trinitarians deny the personhood of the Holy Spirit, but concede a personhood for the evil spirit, what is a nonsensical rationale for that. And I'm going to, to, to enter into the right topic uh, regarding some, some points regarding this uh, topic. What did you say the word was? Pneuma. 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 
I mean, I'm right. Please correct me. My, the checking speller, when I write by hand, sometimes is, but I, I put some elements. Pneuma means air, wind. That's, that's a word we are going to be working with. Um, what does it mean to be filled of the Spirit uh, in the Gospel of Luke and Acts and in a close relationship with Colossians and the relationship of the Spirit with Jesus? And, uh, and that, that's it. So I guess that you are going to agree with this. A good Christian wants to be filled of the Holy Spirit. So the, the topic of the Holy Spirit is important in history uh, of the Christianity. And um, Montanists, for example, they were looking for the revival of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is associated always with a revival and awakening movements across history. Um, revival movements across the times uh, have looked upon the revival of the Holy Spirit. And several Christian movements started in USA um, across the um, 1700s and 1800s you are going to see the essential topic of the teachings of the Holy Spirit. Um, we need to be subjects to the teachings of the Bible. Uh, we, we are not over the Holy Spirit. And, and when you see a preacher that is giving commands to the Holy Spirit, oh boy. please be suspicious because something is wrong. We need to be guided by the Spirit. And we are not in command to the Holy Spirit. Let me, let me put this um, in a parallel that is sometimes a little bit um, clear. But sometimes the clearness of that brings some challenges for the, for the people that is being teach upon the topic. When I was a child, I guess I mentioned this, I was an altar boy. I was Catholic. And uh, Catholicism teaches that in the moment in which the priest made the consecration prayer upon the waffle, the waffle changed the condition of the waffle to be the body and the blood of the Lord Jesus instantly. You, you are aware of that? Yes. So that means a change in nature that is transubstantiation. You heard the word? Transubstantiation. Uh, that means, let me put it here, that means that substance is going to change the nature. The change is going to change to become blood and body, body and flesh of the Lord Jesus in that moment. And uh, always. Oh, think that they're taking part of oh yes, yes. If you, I didn't bring today the catechism. Because in the times in which I was um, an altar boy, the catechism was this and this. And, uh, and now it's a big book. Yeah. 
So, <laughs> and I have to bring several books. So it is a very, but, but at the end of the new version of the catechism, you are going to see that. Uh, probably today I have to be in Lansing back. Probably I'm going to bring, and tomorrow I can show you uh, the quotation regarding this topic. But uh, transubstantiations means the, the change of the nature of the waffle into the body and the blood of the Lord Jesus. That is, you, you have the definition um, there? Well, I have the catechism. It is in the, at the end of the catechism, there is a kind of glossary of words and appears in the printed version, the, the topic. But let me tell you something. Uh, it, it sounds like, and, and please, I don't want to be offensive. I, I, am, I am trying to be only clear, but sounds like magic. Yes. Isn't it? Yes. Uh, yes, of course. But the appearance remains unchanged. Well, the point is that, that that was my point. When I was a child, and I was invited to be the altar boy, and I, and I, I was teach about that, I was watching if something in the waffle is going to become <laughs> nothing happened. So, hey, at that point you say, hey, something is wrong here, okay? So it's, it's the same thing. When, when, they, when the priest pronounce the prayer, they believe that that is the change. And when you see in the other side of, the, of this, in this case, of the teaching, a, a preacher giving orders to the Holy Ghost, go, help this, do that, make that miracle, who is giving orders to? And who is submission to in that case? Is us or is the spirit? That is, let me, let me tell you something. That is the closest thing I can say to a blasphemy. Because that is to put human beings upon the divinity. And that is, that is part part of the problem that we need to, to say uh, regarding this. So um, we need to submit to the text of the Bible. And that is, that is a critical. So charismatic movement have had an impact upon this topic and redefined the meaning of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And some distortions have come into the church that were followed by the silence upon the topic, and that is not good, because we need to clarify some, some things. Um, first things, Holy Spirit is not an exclusive topic of a church movement. Holy Spirit is not a property owned by charismatic movement. It belongs to the Bible. <laughs> And we need to go to the Bible and read the message and apply to our reality. That is, that is the challenge of here. So three things regarding this topic. Charismatic may believe that the Holy Spirit is an exclusive topic of them, and it's not. And it's not. The other thing. 
uh, they introduce um, by the back door of the understanding of a momentous of having the Holy Spirit avoiding that Christianity might understand that the true meaning is an entire life guided by the Holy Spirit. It's not an instant. It's not a moment. It's not a momentaneous experience, but an entire life guided by the Holy Ghost. And that, that changed completely the meaning. When the, when the Bible says, be filled of the Holy Spirit, it's not meaning, um, well, in a moment, uh, you are going to be filled, so stop. Like if you were a tank for receiving gas, or for receiving water, or for receiving something, that is not the meaning. Be filled of the Spirit is not like filling a cup. It's, it's filling through. It's feeling like the sails of the ship. That, that, is, that is the... And that changed everything, you know? Because um, sometimes the understanding changed, in certain sense, our perception regarding that. And they substituted a life guided by the Holy Spirit for a brief, momentaneous, pseudo-guided life by the Holy Spirit. And that is not. For example... The assemble of God, and that is the article of faith number eight. If you are familiar with the articles of faith, uh, let me tell you something. The article of faith in the Mormon church is regarding the Bible. Here is regarding the Holy Spirit. And, uh, and they say, may Christians believe that they need to speak other languages um, to demonstrate that they receive the Holy Spirit. Thank you. Um, the article says this, and you can check that in the internet, by the way. And here is the quotation. Sorry for that. www.agassemblesofgod.org. You have this quotation entirely online, and you can Google that. And they say the initial physical evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The baptism of believers in the Holy Spirit is witnessed by the initial physical sign of speaking with all the tongues of the Spirit gives them utterances. Let me tell you something. Uh, check that with the Bible. Check that with the Bible. And, uh, and this is the book I was making reference to. And I, I repeat again, sorry for that. It's in, in another language. But I'm going to share a couple of things uh, that I put it here. Probably, probably, maybe, in a couple of years, I'm going to have it in English, maybe. I'm going to, I'm going to, I, I, I'm not going to make a promise. You know, but uh, promises sometimes fail. But um, I, am, I am trying to update this book because first edition is 1988 in Spanish. Second is 1982, but excuse me, 1992, 95, 96. 
And from that, I didn't do any update. So somebody is asking me, please do an update of that. And I'm going to put that online. And probably after that, I'm going to put it in, in English. And in this section, I'm going to give you, but take note of this, because this is, this is my, my thinking. So um, here, the Constitution of the Assembly of God, there is a charge, says that, and I'm reading here in Spanish what you are reading here in, um, in English, that, that means that the baptism of the believers in the Holy Spirit is witnessed by the initial physical sign of speaking with other languages. What is, what is the practical um, view for them? Okay? What, what is the practical view? Let me, let me put an example, and, and this example comes from the real life. I was visiting a lady that finished in South America with us um, a course regarding uh, prophetical uh, things um, uh, that was the voice of hope in Spanish. And that was a wonderful lady, Christian, very humble, and uh, she received the diploma because she made all the lessons and accomplished. And in a moment in which we were uh, talking, um, the husband comes and approached to me and, and told me, please, pastor, um, teach my wife the, the Bible. Teach her. She's a, good, she's a good lady. And I detected, um, and please, I don't want to, to be um, critical, but I detected a kind of diminishing her. And I don't like that. I, 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 I don't like that, you know. And, uh, and I say, well, it's good for her and also for you. Yeah. <laughs> and immediately he reacted and say, well, well, uh, and, and began to say, like, I am in another level. And I say, why? Because I received the Holy Ghost. And I speak in languages. And I made a critical question. Critical question. Do you read the Bible? And he says, I don't know reading. Oh, you don't read? Yes, I don't read. And she reads. And he says, yes, she reads. So he was an, an alphabet telling me that he was over her Okay, you know, sometimes politeness has some kind of challenges, but I, I was trying to, you know, to contain myself, to, to say everything that I was, I was feeling regarding that point, um, regarding that uh, macho superiority of him, regarding the wife, because he was completely out of place. And he, he, he says, 
study with her because she didn't receive the Holy Spirit. So, let me tell you something. Objectively, where in the Bible you can find this as a command, as, as, as the Apostle Paul or the Lord Jesus telling, if a person is going to be receiving the Holy Ghost, is going to be speaking in tongues. Let me, let me follow, please take note of this. I'm going to be slow. I'm going to, to read that. Um, so taking count of the cases that I'm going to share with you. Elizabeth. Elizabeth was the mother of John the Baptist. And she was full of the Holy Spirit. And, she, and Luke mentioned that. Chapter 1, verse 14. Luke, chapter 1, verse 14. I hope that this time the verse is right, but... <laughs> but the Bible didn't say that she spoke in languages. No languages. Okay? The, the, here, here is a, this is a biblical argument. You were asking, here it is. Simeon, Luke chapter 2, verse 25, 26. Luke 2, 25, 26. He received the revelation of the Holy Spirit, but he never, according to the Bible, spoke in languages. Zachary, Zachariah, or Zachary, Luke, Zachariah, chap, Luke chapter 1, verse 67, 68. Luke 1, 67, 68. The Bible says very clearly, he will be filled of the Holy Spirit. And he prophesies. And prophetic is one of the gifts. Prophecy is one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. That is very clear. But he didn't talk in languages. So here you have one, two, three cases. You mentioned something. Here is in the order. Anna, the prophetess. That is Luke chapter 2, verse 36. 36. And the Bible says again the same. And mention that she was a prophetess. And prophecy is a gift of the Spirit. But she didn't talk in languages. The Bible is clear again. Here you have four, five elements. Paul. The Apostle Paul. Acts. Acts chapter 9, verse 17, 1, 7. Uh, the Bible says here in this chapter that Ananias, that was a little bit, you remember, a little bit fearful of approaching the Apostle Paul because he was a persecutor of early Christians. And the Bible mentioned that in that moment, Paul was filled of the Holy Spirit. But the Bible didn't say that he spoke in languages. 
However, however, he says to the others, uh, are any of you speaking more languages than myself? Yeah. <laughs> that, that was very clear that he uh, spoke in other languages, but not in that case in which he was filled of the Holy Ghost. Mary, the mother of Jesus, Luke 135, 135. The angel mentioned that the Spirit will come upon her, and she was going to be the mother of the Savior, but no speaking in tongues. Full again of the Holy Ghost, no speaking in tongues. And for me, this is, this is critical. Believe me. No, no. Not only for the Catholics. But this is what, what is coming. It's critical. Because this is Jesus. Luke chapter 4, verse 1. The Bible says that he was full of the Holy Spirit. Tell me one case in which Jesus was speaking in tongues. Question. You don't think that he knew all the languages in the world? Why we are praying in English and in Spanish and in Burmese and in Kiryanwanda and every language upon the earth uh, to the name of Jesus. But the Bible says that he was full of the Holy Spirit, didn't talk about that. That... Uh, I'm, I don't know if I'm going to enter into this because it's going to take me very long here, but I'm going to recommend this topic to you to study for yourself. Read Acts chapter 2 and compare that with 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Yeah. And you are going to discover a lot of things here. First, 1 Corinthians 14. 1 Corinthians 14. And, uh, and you are going to see that the essence regarding the speaking in tongues, the reality is coming from the book of Acts chapter 2. And that is an important topic. Amen. Believe me. It is an important topic. Why? Because there, were, there was no translation. And, and let, me, let me share with you um, some facts, but you are going to see in, um, let me see where it is. Uh, you are going to detect in chapter 2 that in verses, I guess, 16, 17, 18, or something like that, you are going to find out that there are about 17 languages and ethnical background people that is talking in languages, okay? And that is very meaningful because they were given the message and the people that spoke that language receive the message. You, 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 you have the text um, in, in hand, please? Um, let, me, let me find out. Yeah, they spoke in their language, but yeah. they, they, the 
listeners heard it in their own language. Right? Yeah. The speaker wasn't speaking different languages in garbledy group, you know, like, like they do. They spoke Aramaic, you know, or whatever, and the listeners heard in Greek or, or Latin or whatever. Let me, let me deal this topic kindly. Kindly. There are some theories regarding that. One theory is that they were speaking in the same language and they were understanding in their own language. However, when you read what Paul says, yes. Paul, excuse me, Peter, Peter is telling them um, that they were by the Holy Ghost doing that. And, and he quote Joel, the prophecy of Joel. So they were speaking, and that, for me, that was the circle of the communication. Let me, let me tell you which one is. Here, sorry. Here you have the apostles, and here you have the auditorium, okay? So they were speaking in in several languages, and the auditorium was answering back. So that, that is the message, and that is the answer. So here is the circle of the communication. If I am talking to you, and I begin to say, Mesa uh, Amakuru Mesa? Uh, well, I, when I enter into the Kiryanguanda church, they are going to answer immediately. Because that is Kiryanguanda. Um, I'm not a speaker of Kiryanguanda, by the way. I, 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 I just learned some words with them, and I am trying to be familiar in the relationship um, with interviews and so on, because I guess that we need to be open to all languages and ethnic background, ethnical backgrounds and so on. But the, the, the context of the circle of the communications means that there is an emission of the message to the auditorium, and the auditorium is going to give an answer back to the message. That is a yes or no, or an answer that is according what you are telling. Here, you have here, and that is Book of Acts, chapter 2. And this is what's going to happen. So here is the real, the paradigm of speaking in tongues in the New Testament. Why I'm saying this? Because that is not 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians was a kind of and the congregation was no entiende. She said that. And I catch up immediately because uh, sometimes, sometimes you, you might be able to shoot an expression in another language to the wrong person and the wrong person is going to react in that way. Until today, I remember something. I was in my office. I received, I, I saw your hand, by the way. Um, I received a phone call, and I uh, was very happy. And uh, Florence, I entered in the office of Lauren and began to talk to him in Spanish. 
and say, Lauren, I'm very happy with this in Spanish. And Lauren, blah, 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 blah. And when I saw the face, I said, mm, something is going wrong. And he said to me, no entiende, Daniel? No entiende? I say, sorry. So at that moment, I need to change the channel. And I began to, <laughs> to repeat the other thing, you know? But that, that is the point. Here, here is a full connection. That is, that is called, by the way, the circle of communication. So in other words, what I have here is unknown to the speaker, but not to the hearer. Is that right? But uh, back to the preacher. Unknown uh, to the speaker, but not for the hearer. Where, where says it here? That's what I, I put. That was my interpretation of what I read. Okay. Let me, let's, let's, open, let's open the book of Acts. To the speaker, but... Let me. Okay. I'm, I I will try to deal with. Okay. I believe me, I will do my effort. I will do my best. Uh, Book of Acts, chapter two, and uh, we are going to read from verse one. And uh, when the day of Pentecost was full come, they were all with one accord. In one place. Like it very, very much. We need that kind of situation in the church. We need to be in the church one accord. Sometimes we are not in one accord in the church. Even when we are in one place. <laughs> but we are not in one accord. And that's a problem for us. So, second. And then suddenly there come sound from heaven. As of rushing... Uh, by the way, may I take it? I'm sorry for that. I didn't request That's permission. Fine. You go for it. Okay. <laughs> and uh, a mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like a sapphire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues. They began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterances. And they were doing in Jerusalem shoes devout men out of every nation under heaven. Let me, let me put here for a moment. I'm going to get back. Here, here is a kind of is a word that you are going to deal with in the New Testament. Diaspora. Oh, yes. Diaspora. The Apostle Peter used that. Uh, those who are in the diaspora. That means those who are Jewish or belonging to the Jewish community but abroad. That means Egypt, that means Greece, that means Rome, several other places in the world. That is dispersion of the memberhood of Jewish background people, and that is the word sometimes. So remember something. 
they were not only shoes in Jerusalem for the Pentecost. They were coming from, uh, from abroad. So sometimes when general conference session happens and you call everyone in, I don't know where the places are, uh, Dallas, Texas, Indianapolis, and they are going to say to you, well, we are full here like more than in Jerusalem. Why? Because in the great feast, uh, there were people coming from abroad and there were, you know, a plenty of languages. And you are going to take one hallway and you are going to listen Spanish, English, French, and several other languages across the corridor. So that is, that is going to give you the understanding of the context in which this is going to happen. So remember something. They were born, some of them, abroad. So if you have family that uh, were, to, um, were going to Korea and they were children in Korea, they're going to be speaking Korean. Um, Dwight Nelson was uh, from childhood in Japan and he is fluently in Japanese. And very good Japanese, by the way. And, uh, and you are going to find out people in other places. When I went with my wife, we went to, to Florence, Italy. There were some people from Berrien Springs, and they were speaking fluently Italian. Why? Because they were learning the languages over there. That is diaspora meaning. And, and this is going to give you a context that is a kind of worldwide context of that, and you cross the border, and in France, so they are going to be speaking French, comment allez-vous, bonjour, and everything like that. Came back to Italy, uh, go to Spain, and they are going to be in influence with other languages. And this is the context in which you see. Now, the Bible says, and, uh, and they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? Hold, hold on a moment. Yeah. Are not Galileans? Okay, another word. Galilee. Go to Isaiah chapter 9, verse 1. Galilee. And you are going to see that the a prophet Isaiah is identifying Galilee as Galilee of the Gentiles. Okay? Isaiah chapter 9 is not? And says, Galilee of the Gentiles. Is that or not? Okay, Galilee of the nations. That is... Let me put it, Gelil al Goyim. Galilee of the nations. When the Hebrew people call somebody that is not a Hebrew background person, they are going to call them Goy. Goy. Goy means that person. It's not a Jewish background. Why? Because that was the borderline. How many of you have you been in a borderline? 
Not Canada, please. <laughs> but when you are going south, USA, you are going to perceive that Spanish is becoming increasing more than probably you would like to be. Why? Because it's a borderline. And I'm familiar with that because my country is very tiny and south is Argentina, north is Brazil. So when you approach to the, um, the borderline of Brazil, you are going to listen a mix of Spanish and Portuguese. And they call that castigues. It's a mix of Castilian language with Portuguese. And the other side says they are speaking in Porteliano. <laughs> that is Portuguese mixed with Spanish. That, and that is, that is the reality. Uh, have you been in, in Barcelona? Yes. Um, who? OK. They speak Catalan. What is Catalan the mix of? Sounds like French. It's French. When, when, you, when, you, when you go out in English, you are going to see exit here in English, okay? But in Catalan, they put sortida. And you say, what is that? Okay, in Spanish is salida, and in French is sorti, and they mix both, and they put sortida. That is salida plus sorti, I'm French, and that is sortida, and sortida is exit in Catalan. So it's crazy, but it's linguistics, and that is, that is happening. And, and the point is, Gelil Al-Goyim was the mix between Israel with the nations. That was the borderline in which they were speaking other languages. You understand? And, and they are not here, uh, the Apostle Paul say, they are not Galileans. How is possible that we listen them to speak in another language? And began, and, and look, look, please, verse 9. Parsians, Medes, Elamites, doers in Mesopotamia, and in Judea, and Cappadocia, and Pontus, and Asia. So this is going geographically, but they are going to indicate languages that are in those areas. And verse 10, and Phrygia, and Pamphylia in Egypt, and parts of Libya, and Cyrene, and strangers of Rome, Jews, and proselytes, and Crete, and Arabians. We do hear them Speak in other languages the wonderful works of God. So here it's very clear that the language was speaking and they were knowing what they were saying. So that was not a kind of rapture of the mind to put, you know, the meaning for them. That, that is not all of them were in one accordance talking the wonderful message of salvation. That is what the Bible says here. And that is only 
only one person uh, that is going behind. And that, that is chapter 2, verse 1. They were all filled with the Holy Ghost. Two hands. I think that the proof of the whole text is in the fact that Peter had to correct them. They were saying those men were drunk. So they obviously, the hearers weren't all, all filled with the Holy Spirit. So they couldn't have heard by the Holy Spirit. Yep. So that, that and I do agree with that in general, I would right. say. Well, they were instruments of the Holy Ghost, and sometimes. Oh yes. Well, they were. Peter was correcting the pagans that were associating with that. We are going to enter into that um, in the next presentation. Yes. languages about the people. They were not what I have I've been in Pentecostal church and heard them speaking and it was nothing but verbal. Yeah, the languages we can tell in Acts 2 that they were actually no one languages. They were probably Latin and like you said, you know, Arabian and Greek. They were no one languages. It wasn't this humna, 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 yabba, yabba, do. So even though the people didn't understand, they were familiar. They were they lived in that society of all these different languages. I had a friend, you know, oh, well, you're back. She said, let me pray for you. And she liked the tree and my back. And she just started speaking this. It was like babble. It was babble. It was, there was not an actual language. It was just babble. But she thought she's filled with the Spirit. She's going to heal my back. It gave me the willies. Yes. Well, I guess. I guess that um, you need to, to define what is a language. But a language is a construction in which there is a verb, there is a subject, there is a noun, and there is an object of, of the conversation. So here it's very clear that it's linguistic style. That is not, sorry for what I'm going to say, that is not a holy noise, to put it in some sort of expression, you know? That is not a holy noise. Well, they call it an angelic language. Is what yes. It's an angelic language. And there's a verse in the Bible that they, too, that talk about language of the angels. And yeah, but that's the Bible also say that they should be able to interpret what they're speaking. Yeah. 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 So that okay. when she's praying over your back, she should be able to tell you what she's praying yeah. in that Bible language. Yeah, I Sorry. Everybody in the room... Speaks the same language, then there really is, to my, my thoughts, there's no need for the gift of tongues. Right. Everybody speaks English. Why is someone else speaking a different language? Amen. Okay. Uh, let, me, let me go to this mention. Open your Bibles in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. <clears throat> I, I promise I, I'm going to bring my Bible tomorrow and, uh, and to put it very clear here. Chapter 1 to 3. Um, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of, of angels and have no charity, 
I am become a sounding brass or a thinking symbol, okay? Though I speak, though I speak in English for you means I speak or thou means if I speak. Because my understanding of your language is if. That is conditional. So there is no basis for a conditional to be a statement. You understand what I'm saying? So here, when some of them are using this to say this is angelican language or angels language, there is no basis. The Apostle Paul is working a supposition. If, though I speak that, I'm going to. So there is no basis for that. If I go to speak good English, it's a supposition. Why? Because I know I do have an accent. And when I finish a sentence, wherever I go, somebody is going to ask me, where are you from? <laughs> so I, I, I need to render myself to the reality. So when, when I'm going to talk about this, please read 1 Corinthians 13 as a supposition. And a supposition is not the basis for saying that the angel's language is known or is that in the church because there is no specificity regarding a church. It's not the Apostle Paul saying, this is the Corinthian church, this is in the Corinthian congregation, though if I speak angel language. So they are taking advantage of a hypothetical situation in which the Apostle Paul is embracing the idea. Yes. So I, I've heard it said that, and one guy's telling me, oh, I speak in tongues because the angelic language is taking over to understand that. But my thought on that argument is, wasn't Lucifer an angel, and did he speak an angelic language? Yeah. Well, you, you have a tweak over there. But, but even, though, even though you are right, my point here in the text is that, for me, the, the Greek in the original is hypothetical. And when it's hypothetical, you are not, you know, putting that in certain context. The Apostle Paul says, if I can do this and I don't have love, then the center of the message, if not the language, is love. Don't miss the point here, because the, the topic in which the Apostle Paul is talking in 1 Corinthians, by the way, the best piece, a masterpiece in Greek language. There are two sections to the Corinthians, by the way. That's, that's very interesting. 1 Corinthians 13 and 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 through 20, um, regarding the ministry of reconciliation. Yes, there was another hand 
around, I guess, yeah. I, I perceive some of you like very much the topic. I am going to recommend some bibliography for you. There is an old book. I don't know if in Amazon you are going to find out that book. It's um, The Psychology of Speaking in Tongues. Psychology of Speaking in Tongues. I quote that uh, in my book, okay, I don't have it here in the, in the notes, but um, uh, let me tell you that um, there were some, some experiences um, that were performed regarding this. There was um, an experiment that they made, and uh, that, that is in the book, Psychology of Speaking in Tongues, and one does a trained translation person and, uh, and someone from the Pentecostal church that say that he or she uh, has the gift of the tongues in different cabins. And they were recorded and they received with, with um, headphones in separate cabins, you know, and they receive the message and both make the translation. Is that the one? John Kindle? John Kindle, yes. And, uh, and in that book it says very clearly that the person that was a professional translator translated the meaning and the other pure nonsensical meaning. The other experience that um, he mentioned, Sean Kittle, in the book um, Psychology of Speaking in Tongues, was that um, one African gentleman entered into a, a Pentecostal church in the moment in which everybody was speaking in tongues. I don't know if you have a, maybe doing prayer with some Pentecostals. And let me tell you that um, I had this experience when I was uh, young in my country, and I invited them to pray, and everybody began to pray simultaneously. So next time I say, look, I, I learned from you yesterday, so I'm going to pray, and you are going to repeat after me what I'm going to say. And uh, because if not, it was uncontrollable. And this gentleman from Africa entered into the church and began to say, Our Father in heaven, the Lord's Prayer, in his own languages in, the, in that Pentecostal church. And somebody rose up and began to do the translation, telling that the Lord was speaking to the congregation, that there were people in sin, and the Lord is asking them to repent. And um, he says that um, never, never heard that the meaning of the Lord's Prayer was in that direction. So two things. I recommend that book because um, there, there is some kind of situations regarding that. So you're saying he wasn't able to interpret them? The, that, that is for, for sure. Um, and here in, the, in my presentation, normally mention some things regarding this topic. Because um, if they were able to speak in tongues, 
I made the question in my presentation across Americas, if they might be able to speak in Tongas, why they are going there with a lot of translators for themselves. And you know, in South America and Inter-America, it was very convincing what I told them, because I was speaking with them in Spanish, and they need a translator, but they are telling everybody that they speak in tongues. Okay, do it. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.